Chapter 35 With the agitation suspended, the British, immensely relieved, dropped all charges and released the prisoners. In a gesture interpreted variously as one of appreciation, of consolation and of contempt, depending on who was analysing the implications, the Viceroy, dear friend, invited Gangaji to tea. To everyone's surprise but my own, Gangaji accepted the invitation. He entered the cavernous living room of the viceregal palace, swaddled in his habitual white, and found himself being greeted by our old friend, Sir Richard, now Principal Private Secretary to His Majesty's representative in India. His Excellency will be with us shortly, Sir Richard said, ushering him to a chair without the trace of welcome on his lips. Gangaji sat comfortably, his long spindly legs resisting the temptation to cross themselves on the Viceroy's brocade cushions. Sarah Ben, who accompanied him to most of his meetings, stood a few paces away behind a sofa. Sir Richard regarded her with distaste, and standing himself, found it more convenient not to offer her a seat. While we are waiting, Mr. Datta, may I offer you some tea? He asked his patron's guest. Thank you, Gangaji replied equably, but I have bought my own. He moved his head in the direction of Sarah Ben, who held a stainless steel tiffin carrier in her hand. Goat's milk, he said by way of explanation. This is what I drink at this time. Sir Richard opened his mouth as if to speak and then, defeated by the occasion, shut it again. The Ormolu clock on the wall ticked loudly in the silence. I hope I've not come too early, Gangaji said at last. <clears throat> no, not at all, Sir Richard found himself forced to reply. His Excellency has been um, unavoidably detained. Unavoidably detained, Gangaji repeated. Unavoidably detained. He savoured the words, seemed to taste each syllable as he uttered it. Another one of your fine British phrases. Suitable for so many occasions, is it not? I wish I knew some of these myself. I always listen carefully to my English friends, like His Excellency or indeed you, Sir Richard. Sir Richard coughed unaccountably. And I always intend to use these phrases myself. But somehow, they never come out of my mouth at the right time. He laughed, shaking his head, as Sir Richard reddened dangerously. <laughs> I often say to Sarah Ben, we Indians will never learn this English language properly. Sir Richard did not know if his leg was being pulled, but he did know that he did not care too much for the trend of the conversation. He took a deep breath, as much to control himself as to punctuate his next utterance. I trust you're not too greatly inconvenienced, Mr. Datta. I'm confident that His Excellency will be with us shortly. Gangaji laughed. <laughs> me, me, no, no, oh dear, not at all inconvenienced, he chortled. I am sitting in this comfortable chair, in this comfortable room, large enough to accommodate a small train, with an eminent representative of His Majesty's government, you, Sir Richard, offering me tea. Why should I be inconvenienced? He paused, waving a casual hand at his companion. Now she, Sarah Ben, she is not sitting in a comfortable chair. Perhaps if you ask her, she might give you a different answer. It was, of course, Ganapati, simply brilliant. 
It left the hapless Richard no choice but to turn hastily and prefer a seat to the renegade Englishwoman. This Sarah Ben, her expression unchanged, calmly took, smoothing down the folds of her sari and placing the tiffin carrier with an audible clink at her feet. My goat's milk, Gangaji said, unnecessarily. She takes good care of it for me. It was all her idea, you know. Indeed, Sir Richard's tone was distant. He could not bring himself to feign interest in the dietary predilections of this oddly matched pair. Oh yes, Gangaji warmed to the theme. You see, I had this terrible dream one night. A dream, Sir Richard echoed dully. That's right, I dreamt a cow spoke to me. A cow? A large, sad, white cow with a long, downturned mouth. Don't let them do this to me, Mahaguru, she was crying. And then I saw she was standing and swaying terribly and there were all sorts of people crouching on the floor beneath her, boys and girls and adults and peasants and clerks, all tugging and pulling at her udders, milking her as she cried piteously to me. A, a choking sound emerged from Sir Richard. But it was not milk, Sir Richard, that was coming out. It was blood. And in my dream, I could do nothing. I woke up shivering with that cow's cries ringing in my ears. From that moment, I resolved never to drink milk again. The cow is our mother, Sir Richard. Gangaji suddenly and earnestly turned to him. Yours and mine. It is written in our scriptures. She provides nourishment and sustenance for us all. Is it right that we should cause her pain? Sir Richard remained speechless. Of course, it is not. There and then I decided I could not cause her any more suffering. I was determined not to drink milk ever again. He stopped. Sir Richard slowly exhaled. I see, he said, not knowing what he saw, but relieved that he would no longer have to hear. But then uh, I fell ill, Gangaji added abruptly. The doctors came. They said I needed minerals and protein in an easily accessible form. He smiled. Another fine British phrase. I asked them what that meant and they said I should drink milk. But I told them I could not drink milk and I had taken a vow in my heart never to drink milk again. Sir Richard looked towards the entrance of the room as if for deliverance. Gangaji went on. I asked the doctors what will happen if I did not drink the milk. They wanted me to. Why then? They said, you will die. But we will all die one day, I replied. What is wrong with that? It is just that you will die much sooner than if you did drink the milk, they said to me. Next week, perhaps. Sir Richard looked wistfully, gratified at the prospect. It was then that Sarah Ben came to my rescue, the Mahaguru said. I was agonized at the thought of dying with so much work undone, so much left to do. Yet, I was determined not to break my vow. I did not know how to resolve this terrible dilemma inside my heart, my soul. Then Sarabhan said to me, you must drink goat's milk. There I saw I had my answer. Just as nourishing, just as rich in minerals and proteins, yet free of the pain of the sacred mother cow in my dreams. A footfall sounded lightly in the carpeted corridor and a liveried Khidmatgar entered, bearing a tea tray. Gangaji accepted an empty cup 
waved away the teapot and allowed Saraben to rise and pour him a cupful of goat's milk from one of the compartments of the tiffin carrier. A second bearer entered pushing a silver trolley, its filigree top rack all but obscured by lace doilies on which rested elegantly laden plates. Some cucumber sandwiches, surely? Sir Richard asked in a weak voice. Rarely had it breed- has his breeding and good manners been placed under such strain. I'm sure your uh, doctors would wish you to have something to eat. An impish smile slowly spread across Gangaji's face. Don't worry about me, Sir Richard, he said. I have brought my own food. His hand disappeared into the voluminous folds swathing his torso and emerged holding a small, golden, perfectly ripe mango. To remind us of a more famous tea party, he announced. In Boston, was it not?